How's everyone? Give me just a second. Everybody wide awake? Nobody went to bed. Nobody went to bed early or late last night, right?
And uh, what I want to talk about today is just keeping it real. So I just, I called it, keep it real. Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. Now some of your Bibles may not say personally experienced. That's the New Living Translation. Some of your Bibles may say all who had known the Lord. Translators translate based upon their study of Scripture, their study of culture, their study of the, the ancient languages. Uh, they take all of that into consideration and then they translate the word. Words in other languages sometimes have different meanings than our words. Like the word know actually has several different words. And so this word know is also used in the Old Testament in this verse. It says, Adam knew Eve and she became pregnant with Seth. Okay, now, that word know obviously doesn't mean collected facts about Eve. That word know doesn't mean that he had a conversation with Eve. He knew her through an experience or through an encounter. And that's what this word is about. It's about encountering or experiencing what God had done with them. And so, sometimes, because of the excesses of the word experience in our culture... We tend to shy away from that word experience. We don't like to use it. Uh, you know, it's not about experience. It's not about my experience. Uh, but it is about experiencing God. And this is what I mean. God desires all men to be saved. Is that true? Does the Bible tell us all God desires all men to be saved? True? Okay, good. Are all men going to be saved? No. Only those who choose to personally experience salvation. Now what does that mean? That means they admit they need a Savior. They admit they've done wrong. That means they believe that what Christ did on the cross completely covers that sin and they commit themselves to follow after Him, to do what He would want them to do. That's the personal experience of salvation. Now when some people do that, they cry. They do. When some people do that, they never cry at all. I mean, they don't even like get even a small tear in their eye at all. Some people, when they do that, say, man, I just feel so free. I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Some people say, I don't feel nothing. I mean, I did all that, but I don't feel any different. And some people even doubt whether or not they've actually been saved because they didn't feel any different. And, well, that person felt something and I didn't feel anything. Or that person cried and I didn't cry, so I must not have done it right. But the personal experience is not our feeling. Our personal experience is not our emotion. The personal experience is the truth of the Word of God. And if we have done and applied what the Word of God says, we have a personal experience of salvation. In fact, the fruit that comes out of our lives after we're saved is more of a proof of that experience than the emotion we have. Because sometimes we can get really emotional, but our lives don't change at all. Well, that's not a personal experience. That's an emotional experience. See, I was, there was just in uh, womb talking about two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, there was an event, a school assembly, and then after the assembly, they invited all the kids to come back and hear testimony and hear the word preached and respond. So many kids, I mean, this guy has a, an incredible testimony story of what God has done in his life. And man, girls were crying, 
even guys were crying. They were up. Uh, they gave the altar call, and all of these people got up there, got on their knees. Some got on their faces. They're just crying. And then after they prayed for all those people, they broke up into little groups and put everybody in a little group. And that person in the group that led the group visited with them one on one and said, "You know, the Bible says you need to count the costs. You need to understand what you're committing to." And when following Jesus, it, it has a price tag. And here's that price tag. And they begin to explain salvation and surrendering our lives to Christ. And uh, this, this guy that was in charge of these four other guys, um, all of them, man, just an emotional experience, they said, we don't want that. We don't want that. And he was so taken back that not one of the four wanted to accept Christ. He said, what's the, why, you know, why did you come forward? Why did you respond? They said, well, Man, that guy's testimony was so powerful. It was just like what God did in their lives. That was just, that's amazing. And uh, I, it just, it moved me. But I don't know that I'm ready to give up all that stuff. So they had an emotional experience. But they didn't have a personal experience with salvation. And there is a difference. So we don't have to be afraid of that word experience. In fact, we need to actually learn to experience God in our daily lives. Because this generation of Israelites who boldly said, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to be better than our parents. We're going to be better than the generations before us. We're going to do it. Even when Joshua was like, you can't do it. I've been around you guys. Uh, I've wandered in the desert with you. You're, you've got idols everywhere. You're not going to do it. They get mad. They're like, we're going to do it. But they couldn't do it. See, that's not unlike some of us who, while, the, while we're in our parents' homes, we serve the Lord. But when we get out of our parents' homes, because there's been no personal experience with God on a regular basis, we kind of just walk away. It's kind of like being in a, a Christian school environment all of your growing up years, but then going off to college, and because you're not around teachers or leaders or other friends who personally experience God... You, you played the part while that generation was around you, but then you get out on your own and you drift away. It's even possible for us to really desire it and walk with the Lord and even come to a place where we just no longer care because we've stopped personally experiencing the Lord daily. We've gone through the motions. I mean, we go to chapel, we go to church, we read our Bible, we pray, and we do all the things that we're supposed to do. But let me show you from the New Testament that that sometimes just isn't enough. In Philippians chapter 3, there's Joshua chapter 24, there's Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing these words and he says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it yet, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. That verse starts with the word, I want to know him. Greek language now, same type of word. Paul says, I want to experience. I don't want to just know the facts about him. Paul knew the facts about him. Paul knew all of the, the law of the Old Testament. He was very studied, but he wants to experience God in a way that transforms how he lives his life. 
He says, I want to know him. And in order to know him in that way, I, want, I need to strive after him. I need to focus on this one thing. I need to press in because I need to know him. I can't just settle back and say, well, you know, I made that commitment one time to the Lord. And, and uh, I'm, I'm going to church. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm learning something as I'm sleeping in the front pew. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's probably all soaking in. Paul says, I got to strain into this thing. I can't just rely on yesterday. I can't just rely on the people around me that are personally experiencing him. I need to experience him in my daily life. Paul says, I want to stop sinning. I want to stop slandering people. I want to stop doing the things that I did before, and I need the personal experience with him to do that. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he even says these words. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. He's using this Olympic race analogy Meaning that somewhere along the line, I may have broken one of the rules and stepped out of bounds. I may be disqualified. I may have finished the race and not realized that I had been disqualified because, yeah, I was still running, but I wasn't competing according to the rules. Now, don't think that Paul's saying you should, you know, it's all about rules. He's already talked about that in the scripture. That's not what it means. It's about that relationship with Christ. But he's saying this. It's possible for me to preach what's true, but not live it. When I read those words, I understand those words. Because it's easy for me to study the truth and to get a grasp of it and to understand it and even to be able to stand up in front of people and talk about it and explain it. But really, I know I'm not putting that into practice in my life. And if I can do that long enough, eventually the, the Holy Spirit within me, my conscience, all of that, I can quiet that enough that I, it doesn't even bother me anymore. And so I can stand up and people would be like, man, that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And I'll be like, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's all the Lord. And go say all the right things that I'm supposed to say, but not really apply any of it to my life. And the, the crazy thing is, is people can actually hear what I'm saying and respond to the Lord and actually start serving the Lord genuinely. And it, it still doesn't matter. Because if I'm not personally applying or personally experiencing what I'm saying in my life, it doesn't matter. Jesus, in Revelation chapter 2, writes to a church and he says this, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work. I've seen your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You've discovered they're liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting close the book, and let's go home. Great church, good service. Wow, great job, guys. We, I guess, I, again, I wish it ended there, but he says this, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. It, it's possible to go through the right motions. It's possible to be doing hard work for the Lord. It's possible to be doing our best to be self-controlled and even examining the, the people that uh, maybe say things that aren't true and proving that they're liars and the, the, the word is true. It's possible to do all those things, but if our heart isn't in it, if, we're, if how we're treating people doesn't change, 
I mean, if we're still making fun of people, if we're still dishonoring our parents, if we're still dishonoring people in authority over us, what, what's changed? Yeah, you've got a lot of knowledge. Good job. But I want to experience that knowledge in my life in such a way that the way I treat people is different. That the way I live is nothing like what I used to do. My life is transformed. It's changed. See, all the way through Scripture... That's the rest of Revelation chapter 2. But all the way through Scripture, God has showed us what He wants to do. And the thing is, before God even said, let there be light, the entire Bible was written in His heart and mind. I mean, He, he knew what was coming. And some people say, well, okay, right after the fall, why didn't Jesus just come, die, and that was the end of it? How many of you have ever seen Lord of the Rings? You watched the, how many of you went to see The Last Hobbit? Good. How many of you, after The Last Hobbit, came out of the movie theater and said, I wish that entire six-episode movie had only been like 30 minutes. Why didn't they just, I mean, they could have shortened it and just, you know, boom, boom. No, part of the, the enjoyment of it is the cliffhanger. You've got to wait six months or a year for the next movie to come out. You've got to enjoy the process, and you do enjoy the process. And if, you, if people get bored, they don't come to the next one. And just like a master playwright, God has throughout time been revealing what he knew was going to happen all along. It's not like he established the old covenant and then was like, uh, this isn't working out the way I intended, so let's tweak it a little bit. No, from the beginning to end, God knew. And so in the Garden of Eden, he shows us his plan. His plan is to walk with people, to live with them. He walked with Adam and Eve. He lived with them. He fellowshiped with them. He talked with them. They experienced him daily. They, they knew God was with them. That's what he wanted. And then Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world. And then God comes up with this tent of meeting for the, the Israelites. And, you know, sadly, the tent of meeting, there's only two people in Scripture that ever went to the tent to communicate with God. Moses and Joshua. That was it. Everybody else stood at their tent and watched Moses go in and talk to the Lord. And they were content to say, you know what? You talk to the Lord and we'll just listen to what you said. And we know how well that worked out, don't we? Then they established the tabernacle. They established the temple. And each one is a foreshadowing of what's coming. It's like the plot is building and the plot is thickening. And then the temple is destroyed. They go into exile. But they come back, they rebuild the temple, and oddly, they rebuild the temple, they rebuild all the sacrifices, and they, they continue to go through the, the motions of the, the rituals of you know, going into the Holy of Holies and putting the, the blood in front of the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Only funny thing is, the Ark of the Covenant isn't there. I mean, they're still going through the sacrifices, and they're still taking the blood into that room because that's what they're supposed to do, and it, it atones for the sins of the people. But God's presence isn't there. I wish somebody along the way would have just said, what are we doing? Let's just ask God to bring his presence back. But they were just content to go through the motions of it and not really tell anybody the ark wasn't there. And then Jesus came to earth. And Jesus came, John chapter 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. That word dwelt is literally the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. In other words, Jesus became God's presence among us. Jesus himself said, I'm the temple. You destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to rebuild it. And everyone's like, this temple took years to build. You're going to do it in three days. But he was talking about his body 
He's the temple of God. And so Jesus comes all the way to the end of his life with his disciples, and he's like, guys, I really got to tell you something. Everybody sit down. Uh, here we go. It's going to be better for me to go. Huh? Huh? I, mean, I don't know if you've ever had like a pastor or a teacher or a friend that was really influential in your life and they came and said, you know, guys, uh, I'm moving. God's telling me I gotta go somewhere else. I mean, I doubt your response to that is gonna be, yes, I've been praying that you would go. You're gonna be like, no, you've taught me so much about how to survive. I don't know if I can do this without you. Imagine how these guys feel. Jesus, you're like the best pastor we've ever had. You're the best teacher we've ever had. I mean, you performed so many miracles. We watched them. It was so exciting. I even got tingles every time it happened. You even helped us perform miracles. But we can't do this if you go. How is it going to be better that you go? But Jesus understands God's always had a better way in mind. Because when I've been here, I've been external. I've been teaching you. I've been showing you. But here's the thing. You guys are still so full of pride and selfishness. You still argue about who's best. You still, I, I've told you plainly that I'm going to die. I've tried to make the scripture really clear to you, but you, you, you're not getting it. And it's not because you don't want to. It's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's not because you're not good enough. It's just that there's a better way. And no amount of influence on the outside is ever going to be able to change you. So it's going to be better than I go. Trust me. You're not, you don't believe it now, but trust me. In fact, the culmination of it comes on the night Jesus is crucified, and every single apostle runs away like a chicken. Every one of them. They run and hide. Is that because it's because there was a better way? And that better way is the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. Paul tells us what union can there be between God's temple and idols? We are the temple of the living God. God said, I'll live in them. I'll walk among them. I'll be their God. They will be my people. He says it two more times in 1 Corinthians. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God. God's spirit lives in you. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given by God. Now, most of you go to church a lot. Most of you come to chapel a lot. And that is not news to you. That is not news to you that when we have a personal experience with salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. It should mean a whole lot more than it does to this stuff. The Holy Spirit is God. And He actually lives inside of us. And if He actually lives inside of us, no longer do we have to worry about where in the world am I going to get the power to change? Where in the world am I going to get the power to be, to be faithful? Where am I going to get the power to be, to, to be courageous? And look at the apostles while Jesus was on the earth, still all the time making mistakes, still all the time afraid, still all the time selfish, not getting it. And look, after they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, their lives change dramatically. So you would think that for us, if the Holy Spirit lives in us, why can't, why can't we just do it? Well, because the Holy Spirit can be ignored. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Bible tells us all those things. And so just because he comes to live inside of us, he's only going to take what we give him. And Jesus teaches us this in Luke chapter 11. This works. Though I tell you, God will not do it for friendship's sake, or he will not do it for friendship's sake. If you keep walking, knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I tell you, keep on asking, and you receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you find. Keep on knocking, 
the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I don't have the time to go through this verse, but there are those that think that just everything we ask for, we're going to get. And everything we seek for, we're going to get. And, and they twist what Jesus is actually saying here to mean it's just, you know, a blank check. God's just going to give you whatever you want, so just ask Him long enough and wear Him out. That's not what He's saying. What He's saying is the process of continuing to ask and continuing to seek and continuing to knock gives us more of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, He comes to live inside of us. He's not like God divides Him up into bite-sized chunks and says, okay, I'm going to give you this much of a chunk, and then I'm going to give you this much of a chunk, and as you keep seeking, I'll give you more chunks. No, He's a person, and He lives in us. He is God, and He lives in us. And the difference is, we yield more of our lives to Him. So this process of seeking and this process of going after Him, this process of knocking and continuing to do that on a regular basis actually yields more of our lives to the Holy Spirit and we're not ignoring Him as much. We're not grieving Him as much. We're not quenching Him as much. And it looks as if He's actually coming into our lives more, but He's not. He's already been there. It's just we're giving Him more of our lives. There are three things and don't, be, don't panic by that. It'll only take me about three minutes to, to give you those. Three things that I want to share with you that I use in my life to make sure I keep it real. Because I'm not up here saying, you know, you, you guys need to keep it real. We need to keep it real. We need to make sure that we're living this faith out. And in fact, in 3 John verse 4, I believe it is, uh, John actually says, you know, there's no greater joy for me than to find out one of my children are serving the Lord. And that's such a true statement. You know, I, I love celebrating with you guys when you do great things. Uh, you know, when you win the basketball state championship, that's exciting. I love celebrating with you. And it, I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't coach. I didn't attend a lot, all the games. I, didn't, I mean, But it's fun to celebrate with you. You know, regional and, and state, one-act play when you get superiors, that's great. I, I mean, I love hearing all the accomplishments that you guys get at homecoming and all these things. Those are great celebrations. But you know what so far supersedes any of that? Is when we hear that you're serving the Lord. That you're actually putting into practice those things that we've taught and trained and helped you with. Um, Samantha Van Gorp, Samantha Kleinsoster, at the fall banquet, gave her testimony. Um, we need to actually get better about recording stuff like that so we can put it online. Um, that just, that's, that's some powerful stuff because she keeps it real. I mean, from the time she left here, did she do everything perfect? No. Did she ever have a bad day? Yep. Did she ever maybe uh, do things that she wasn't supposed to do? Sure. But you know what? At the end of the day, she just kept it real. She just kept experiencing God by putting into practice that which she needed to be true. And so here's what we do. We engage ourselves. You have to make sure you're engaged in this process. You come to chapel, be in chapel. Be here. Write down the things that God says to you. Don't just sing the songs. You know, I always love it when we're singing about this God. You're indescribable. You're, wow, you're so amazing. Hey, guys, what time did you get home from the game last night? He's so indescribable that I can't even keep my attention on the fact that I'm singing to him. I'm not singing to the worship team. I'm not, I can't even focus on what I'm, I'm saying. If we don't engage ourselves in the process, uh, we're not going to keep it real. You know, you can, you can sing all the songs and it can sound pretty. You can even learn to harmonize. 
But if we're not engaged in that process, it's not going to be real. The second thing is we need to humble ourselves. Humility is something that just draws God. And all humility is saying, God, I need you. And try not to pretend you're something that you're not in front of other people. How many of you, when, when Rick and Mick were here, their humility and the way that they just opened themselves up and were so vulnerable. Uh, I have a friend in this, in this city that I've met with and prayed with and just you know, thought, man, I could, if I could just convince him that God is real, he's such a nice guy. And uh, I tried everything, and I prayed, and we met for lunch all the time, and I just tried to convince him, and uh, it just could, it never worked. And, you know, the night that Megan Rick shared, because of their vulnerability and humility, his heart was so open, and he just responded and accepted Christ as his Savior. Dramatic change. All because somebody humbled themselves. You know why your experience with Rick and Megan was so powerful? Because you humbled yourself. You didn't sit there and say, you know, I don't need this stuff. You said, you know what, I need that stuff. And the more you humble yourself, the more God just is so attracted to that, and greater things begin to happen. So keep ourselves humble. And the last one is our daily choices. Joshua said, choose today and choose every day who you're going to serve. The things that we repent of need to stay behind us. And so if we think, you know, that the, the choice I make right now or this little thing is just not a big deal, our daily choices matter. And if we will engage ourselves in the process, if we'll humble ourselves before God and before others, and we'll make sure that our daily choices are, are pleasing Him, we're going to experience Him on a regular basis in our lives. And that experience is going to transform how we live. And can I tell you something? I was excited to hear about the four-hour testimony service with Rick and Mick and how awesome that was. And you might even be able to remember it and think, man, that was so awesome. Um, that's not what God's looking for, though. That's great. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I enjoy things like that. But you know what God's looking for? Change lives. And not just our lives, but people in the city. And so that experience, that emotional experience that we all had, should translate into a personal experience of living it out daily, changing the way that we live, changing the way that we talk, changing the way that we treat people. This last year, and I promise I'm almost done, this last year, we, uh, in cross country, there's a comment that someone made to me that just uh, has always stuck with me. And uh, they came up with me after and said, Coach, I just want to tell you, um, the way that your, your team uh, stays in the shoot and congratulates people as they come through, uh, that's, that's awesome. And I'm like, thank you. And here's the thing. I never told anyone to do that. I don't tell people to do that. In fact, the first time someone did it, I said, why'd you do that? And they thought they were in trouble. And I'm like, I don't know. Because stuff like that is, is our character. And that's what matters most. And so people recognize character because there's talented people everywhere. I mean, yeah, people come up all the time and say, man, uh, those guys, they, they were fast. Those girls, they were fast. That's awesome. I mean, they come up and say, man, that, that one's a really good athlete. But when there's character displayed, they say, that's what we notice because there's not a lot of that. That's what people need to see. And that's our personal experience. 
And so today, as we close this time, I want to just pray for you. I want to pray for me. I want us to encounter God on a regular basis. I want us to stop ignoring the Holy Spirit, stop grieving Him, stop quenching Him. The Bible tells us how to do all that. I want to encounter Him daily so that my life is transformed. And I experience His resurrection power and people around me do too. And so if you, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand as I pray. And you standing is going to say, I want that too. I want to keep it real. I want that in my life. And if you don't want that, I'm going to encourage you to be brave enough to stay in your seat. Because just like those four kids in Woonsocket that said, no, we don't want that. That's great. You don't want that? I, I love that honesty more than I love everybody standing up. So if you don't want to stand up, don't stand up. If you are already keeping it real and you're like, I'm already keeping it real, good. But I want you to keep keeping it real. And so if you, can, if you can understand what I'm saying, you know that, hey, I want to keep it real. As I close in prayer, I want to pray for us. I want to, I want to encourage you to stand to your feet right now. Father, we humble ourselves right now. And we say to you that we, without you, can accomplish nothing. Thank you for this amazing plan that you have unfolded before us to send your Holy Spirit to actually live in us. That what you wanted from the very beginning to just live among us and walk among us, you, you've accomplished that through Christ. Forgive us for ignoring, for grieving, and for quenching the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Give us the grace today and every day to not ignore Him, to not grieve Him, and to not quench Him. Help us to follow His leading. Give us the grace to be faithful, to allow you to complete the work that you have started in us and that you want to finish in us. Give us the grace to humble ourselves before you, before each other, before everyone that's watching us. God, give us the grace to engage our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength with you each and every day. Give us the grace to keep it real, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you guys for not falling asleep. Always a pleasure to be with you. Put your chairs back and go right to class and be attentive.